Hey everybody, welcome back to the Five Tool Podcast. I'm George Klein and it's November. So this week I talked to Alex Zimblist about MLB free agency and we gave her predictions for the top free agents and where they go and what kind of contracts they get and give all our thoughts on it. After a little argument between the two of us where we debated the respective merits of LeBron James and Steph Curry, we always have a lot of those arguments just in our daily lives. So hope you enjoy and thanks for listening. Okay, so it's November now. I'm here with Alex Zimblis for this week and we're now officially kind of into the NBA season. College basketball starts this week. Football stuff, MLB postseason's over, so we've kind of turned the page on on the sports world, and we're kind of in a new area of, of the year. So let's talk some NBA first, since the season's in full swing now. There's been a lot of 50-point games. There were some dramatic moments so far, but you messaged me a couple days ago about Stephen Curry, and you had what I thought was an egregiously hot and rushed take, which was that Steph Curry is now the best player in the game over over LeBron. And I'm here... To everyone who's listening and just immediately was filled with rage, I want you to know that I'm there with you. I'm as angry as you are. I'm completely mind-boggled, but I'm going to give you the chance to to make your argument first, and then I will respond. So why exactly is your opinion this? Look, I know that Curry's been off to a really good start. Um, he's shooting unbelievably, even for Curry. So it's it's easy to kind of just write off any claims about how great he is based on he's off to a hot start. He's not going to keep it up. I don't think he's going to keep it up. He's not going to finish the season shooting 50% from three, don't get me wrong. But but I've been watching the Warriors play. I've kind of always thought that Curry, um, you, you know, doesn't get enough credit as since his MVP seasons, people are kind of saying that he's maybe not even a top five player. No one's saying um, that. Oh, Come people on. say that all Come the time. On. No way. Come on. Well, No like actual fan who knows NBA would say he's not a top five player. Well, I don't know if that's true, actually. I think that people would put LeBron, Durant, KD, Kawhi, and Giannis, maybe, as a top five over Curry. Hey, okay. I don't I'll see let it. You go. I'm just saying I've, Why is I, he better than LeBron, though? Why okay. is he better yeah, than LeBron? I'm, I'm just leading up to it. I'm <laughs> qualifying it. I, I want to be very clear on what I'm saying. Look, I think that when Curry's on the floor, he doesn't make everyone better in the same way that LeBron does. He he doesn't he's not as much of a force as you can give him the ball and he can just plow his way to the rim past anybody. What he does do though is he moves without the ball so much and he demands so much respect on the three-point line that he he's creating space and motion in the offense and the way that the Warriors play basketball. When people talk about Warriors basketball, it's not the Warriors, it's Curry. It's the fact that Curry's constantly running and and dragging defenders with him, and uh, they're constantly pulled out well beyond the three-point line, giving the Warriors more space to work with. And, and I just think that's more of an impact than any other player uh, has on the game, including LeBron James. I mean, you've just made an argument for why Steph Curry's the most valuable player on the Warriors, and I agree with that. But you're talking about how he does all these things within Golden State's system, and Again, he's a great, great player. No one's denying that. But I think LeBron has so much more of an impact on, on the game overall. And I'm not saying Steph Curry has no impact or like a low impact. A low impact. He has a huge impact. I've We've talked before about how he matters so much more than KD to the Warriors. But LeBron as a whole does does more for his team. He's in control of the entire flow of 
of the game. He orchestrates the entire offense, and I think everyone's quick to to jump on him when we all forget he had a fifty point game in the finals in, in game one. He was clearly the I'm best not jumping on, on him for the, for the start to this season. He's having a fine start. No, but what I'm saying is everyone likes likes to say, "Oh my goodness, Steph Curry just had a fifty point game." He's the most explosive scorer in the game. No one else could but do that. But that's not the no argument way. I made. I didn't make the argument no, I know. that he's an explosive I'm, scorer, and I qualified I'm, it by I'm saying making that it's another not argument. it was a hot start. I was addressing another argument, just like you addressed an argument that Steph Curry is not a top-five player, which I never said. I'm addressing an argument against LeBron, which is that Steph Curry is a more ex- explosive scorer, which I'm just I'm doing the same thing as you. I'm quantifying my argument, and my argument is that LeBron is the best player on the floor. We saw that in the finals. I think it matters what you do in in the playoffs still. I'm never going to put Steph Curry above LeBron until Steph actually plays to his capabilities in an NBA Finals series because time and time again, he's had the opportunity to do so and it hasn't quite clicked for him. Again, not taking anything away from him. I think he's the second best player in the game, but LeBron has shown on the brightest stage that he is the best player and and you can count on him as the best player to perform like the best player. And his impact on the game, again, Steph is tremendous, but it can't be denied that his job is made a whole lot easier, and he's in the perfect position to make himself shine from a basketball perspective. He has so, so much help. And yes, he's great in his own right. But his help isn't helping him. Like, when he had his best season, it was before Durant was here, so well, I'm not sure no, why. Well, when Steph doesn't have a great game, we don't notice it because the Warriors still end up winning because of all the talent we have. That's- Steph had a bad game in the finals. He had an awful game in the finals where he started off 0 of 10 from 3. No one really cared. We don't even think about it because the Warriors still won the game. And and so I'm going to I'm going to go right with that point, which is that I agree with you, which is that the Warriors still often win when Curry has a really bad game, and that's because he impacts the game so much beyond his scoring. You'll see games where he doesn't really shoot very well, and and I mean there's that clip that I'm sure many of you saw where Kerr actually pulls Curry aside when he's having a bad shooting night, is in a bit of a slump actually for a few games, and he says to him, hey, hey, look, Steph, this is your plus minus, so I don't care that your shots aren't going and you're still having a drastic impact on the game. Um, so he does that even when, when he's not on, even when his shot's not on. And I know you can criticize him in the fact that LeBron's always going to get his points. Curry could have an off-night shooting. You might not get his, but the, the way that he influences the game, I think, is, is always there. Well, I'll at the end of the day, I'll take the guy whose awful game is 23, 12, and 7 over the guy who shoots 4 for, for 16, and that's a bad game. But as Kurt says, he's doing a lot of other great stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my point exactly is that you just made your argument with stats, and I think that stuff doesn't show up in the, in the stats. So does that make him a better player than, than LeBron? Because that's, that's the take that you sent me. That he's a better player? Yeah. I, I think he is. I think... I think that he, if, look, if you put Curry on some teams instead of LeBron, that team would not do as well. And that's because they don't play Warriors basketball. And like you said, part of the reason Steph is great is because he's in the Warriors system. He wouldn't thrive as much in a different system, perhaps. He'd still be great, maybe not as great. But the Warriors system is the system that's winning. And so I think if, if I'm trying to make a championship team and someone says... Okay, you get the first draft pick. Who do you want to start your team around? I take Curry over LeBron because I think in to to create the best team, Steph is more integral to the best team than LeBron is to the best team. And it's the same argument that I've made about uh, Westbrook before, which is that I think if you put Westbrook on the worst team in the NBA, he might help that team as much as Curry or LeBron or KD. 
Whereas I think if you put Westbrook on a team that's already really good, he barely helps them at all, if even. Um, so I think it's a, a similar kind of argument for me taking Curry over LeBron in that I think when you get together a squad to win a championship, Curry's the guy that I want. I just also like to make one last note that LeBron's stamina is also unprecedented. And Curry has had issues throughout his career where he's had to miss large chunks of seasons due to ankles or whatnot or what have you. LeBron's we've talked never about had this before, though. I don't, injury, I don't consider that in terms of how good of a basketball no, okay, player No, okay, okay. I'm just making my argument for why LeBron is the best player in the game. And, and I do. I think that that's, I think health is a skill. Derrick Rose could be considered a top player in the NBA if not for all of the injuries because <laughs> no, totally from a talent-wise. Because if you look at if you're just considering it from a talent-wise, then like he... But his injury made him worse. Curry okay. had injuries in the past, but he's still fully healthy now. I'm talking about how he is now as a basketball player. I just think that it's a little naive not to include injuries in this conversation because... Because health is such a big part. In order to be the best player of the game, your team has to know that you'll be out there every single night. And I think LeBron just has that to such a greater extent than than Curry. That's that's just one more aspect of it. But I think when you take all of the sum from the way that he dominates the game, from when he's there in the clutch, from when he's there in the playoffs, again, any clutch situation, like in, in the postseason, in the finals, to everything he does, to everyone that he makes better, not take, and also looking at the teams that he's been on, what he's done with those teams. He's done more with bad teams than Curry ever did with bad teams. I just think you you just have to look at LeBron as the best player. But I'll let you have like one last little point, and then we can move on to some MLB, to some MLB talk. Okay, I mean, I know it's a tough argument, and, and also, like, I, for up until now, had LeBron ahead of Curry, too. Um, so to be very clear, I think it's by the slightest of margins, and this is still a thought that's, new uh, new to me as well but and, and and also just one more clarification who's the greatest player still playing is LeBron James LeBron's had a long great career if I'm doing my all-time great players uh, LeBron is absolutely on that list far ahead of Curry don't get me wrong on that I'm talking about right now who they are as players uh, I think Curry does everything he's an underrated passer he has uh, among the best at the at the rim finishing skills and and ball handling skills of anyone in the league. Uh, like him and Kyrie Irving, George and I were saying the other day are right at the top, and no one really is is even in that category with them. And obviously, the greatest shooter of all time. Just the way that he to to say one more time makes that offense run. He's the reason that the Warriors play Warriors basketball. And so you know, I bumped him above LeBron. Okay, so after that little nice. 10-minute quick argument. Uh, we can move on to MLB free agency. There's been a lot of news lately concerning a number of the top players, and everyone's been waiting for this free agent class for a while now. It seems like we've been talking about it for years and is finally here. Clayton Kershaw quickly took himself off, off the market, re-signing with LA, but obviously there's still a number of important, possibly franchise-changing talents out there. So I'm just pulling up the MLB Trade Rumors page, they made some free agent predictions a few days ago, and I thought that we would just work through some of the free agents, give our picks, think about their picks. So first we have Bryce Harper. They have him going to the Dodgers for 14 years, $420 million. I just think that that's too much. I would rather, I think he has, I think it, 
I just can't see any team signing him for that much money, four hundred and twenty million. Like that, it it gets to a point where it's just ridiculous. It's like three hundred million, and I'm not going to say three hundred million isn't ridiculous, but at a certain point, it is a guy where he did have some struggles last year. I certainly wouldn't sign him for fourteen years, and that's are you really going to lock up this guy until he's forty? When yes. I mean, we're past batting average and we're past all that. But he did have some contact issues through the first half of, of this year. I don't know. He's not the best player in the game. That's a contract I think that only Mike Trout really deserves. Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to get that. I, I'm a, frankly kind of surprised that uh, his prediction is saying that. Look, he, he's coming off a season that we know that he can do better. His value is certainly going to be lower than if he had just come off uh, like his 2015 uh, MVP season. I if look if this season he had put up the same numbers that he put up in twenty fifteen, I could totally see him getting that contract. It's naive to think that his his down year this year isn't gonna affect that. That being said, uh, teams still know that the raw talent's there, and and they're not gonna let one sort of down season hurt his value too much. I think he could make in the in the range of three hundred, but four twenty, like you said, does seem excessive. And there's a bunch of large market teams that have been in the conversation about him. And it does seem like more and more there's been some some news just about teams maybe backing off. We've seen the Cubs have some possible financial concerns. And they've signed a couple of really uh, horrendous free agent contracts. And they've dealt out a lot of money. And they still will be to Jason Hayward and Hugh Darvish. So there is... You do have to wonder if they'll still be in on Bryce Harper, and there's been some news with the Yankees wondering if they're still really in on him or or whatnot. I've actually there's been a good amount of talk about the Phillies, and that for me could make a little bit of sense. It's a team with some young talent who improved mightily last year, faded down the stretch, not quite ready for for big time contending status, but a player like Bryce Harper or who we'll get to next, Manny Machado, who's also been rumored to him could be the guy to kind of take them over that edge and maybe push them up more into that 90-win mark. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The Phillies, I mean, there are rumors that the Phillies are going to try to get both of them, and it's not unfathomable to me. I mean, that would take, that would cost, what, $600, $650 million? That's almost, it's, it's unbelievable, but the Phillies are a perfect candidate to kind of go all, all in right now because their contending window still seems to be ahead of them into the future so you get these and two got stars the money for it. and they they've do have the money right yeah. now. I could I could see them on LA too again cuz you have to think that the Dodgers would just push, you know, as much as possible to try to eke a championship out of this team. Though I personally think that their their window's over. It was really over last year. Yeah, they made it to the World Series, but I mean any whoever won the AL was clearly like a step above them. Right. Right. Um, so, so George, while we're on Harper, can I take a, a Yankees fan lens yeah, on this for yeah, a quick sure. second? Give me the so, Yankees fans lens. So there's been uh, reports saying that the Yankees are not interested in him, that they may or may not be pursuing Machado, but that they're basically out on Harper. There have also been reports that came out after that that said that's a bluff, et cetera, or, or basically other things saying that the Yankees, uh, while, while maybe they're not the front runners are still certainly in on Harper. I don't think, and I certainly hope, that they're not going to give him one of those $300, $400 million long-term contracts. That's crazy, uh, especially since we already are giving that to Stan. However, I don't think it's crazy for the Yankees or for Harper to do something like this. One year, $40 million. 
and and hear me out before you before you criticize that, which I'm I'm sure you're going to. Like I started the conversation about Harper by saying, had he been coming off his 2015 MVP season, he would almost certainly, in my mind, be making 420 million. I see him getting at least a hundred less than that uh, this off season. So if he has faith in himself that he really did have a down year and that he can do better, I think he goes. He takes 40 million and don't like. Don't be like, oh, he doesn't have any any security. Like, yeah, he's not getting as much security as if he did sign a long-term contract this offseason, but he's still making $40 million. So God forbid he gets injured, like he's still rich for the rest of his life, okay? So, so that being said, he'd be the highest paid player in baseball. He'd be making a good paycheck. If he does perform like he did in his 2015 MVP season, he comes out next offseason having made $40 million and makes, in my opinion, at least $100 million more than if he, if he signs long-term this offseason, absolutely breaks the record for the largest contract ever. I have a hard time believing that, that Harper's going to have a worse season than he did this year. He's just too talented. So, so in my mind, barring an injury, the injury is really the only thing that I could see uh, making his value next offseason diminish um, compared to what it is now. But barring any really serious injury, I really only see a way for him to improve his value and get an even more massive contract next offseason. And as a Yankee fan, I would be okay to shell out the money for one year as long as we don't need to be worrying about this in 10 years from now, like an A-Rod situation. Well, you said that you would bring the Yankees perspective, Yankee fan perspective, and I think you certainly did do that. My, my counter would just be that, one, I think anytime you can make $300 million, I think it's best to just lock that in, and I really just I can't These see guys are passing greedy. that money up. I can't see him passing up three hundred million plus. So doesn't he want to have the biggest contract <laughs> ever, though? I mean, I think two. I mean, even if it's two hundred and seventy-five million, I I think that that's still pretty good too. If I see one year forty million and ten years two hundred forty million, I mean, I want to be rich forever and have my kids be rich and he's my rich grandkids forever. be rich and my 40, grandkids. He's making forty million dollars plus, I mean, but he's already made plus endorsements. But I mean, with this, you're plus set he's for, playing in New York. for eight generations. I know, I know, and also, I mean, from. From the Yankees' perspective, I also just think that they're more likely to go after other guys since they have so many outfielders right now, such a glut, that I think that a guy like Machado would just fit that roster better, who we can get into right now. Sure. Manny Machado, he's rumored, you know, many of the same teams as for Harper, uh, where a bunch of teams are just going to be in contention for both these guys because they serve a lot of the same needs, a power bat and an order for a team trying to win a championship. Machado had an interesting year. There's there's been talk how I mean he turned into the great villain of of MLB, where a bunch of confusing and perplexing acts where stepping on people while he's running to first base, not really hustling when you think you would in the World Series. But I mean I don't think that matters. People would like everyone was really excited to say oh he's costing himself money in free agency. I don't think so. If you can get Manny Machado on your team, I think anyone would take that. So, I don't know if I agree with that, actually. Okay, what's your take? Uh, I think teams care about that. I, I think it's really important. There are reports that the Yankees cared about that a lot, and it was a reason that they weren't. I think that, that that's by a smokescreen. I think, I mean, it gets to a point, talent matters most. We love to have this sort of nice outlook on teams, like to have likable guys, and they want guys who are good chemistry and great guys, like everyone who you would want to be friends with. At the end of the day, I think talent matters, and Machado may not be the greatest guy to be in a locker room with, but he's just so damn I'm, talented. I'm going to keep pushing back against that, actually. I think that you've seen it time and time again where, where teams 
give a little extra money to keep a guy who they think is a really good presence in the clubhouse, who they think is a good leader. And you've seen people trade guys who that's not the right fit. I, I totally, yes, talent's more important, but I think that's absolutely something that teams think about um, and look into. Now, is there going to be a couple teams that don't care about it? Probably. But I think it's taking certain teams maybe out of contention for, for his services. And especially in a place, for example, New York, Machado is fans aren't going to take well to him if he doesn't hustle to first base. They don't put up with that. So I think that I think that those things do matter to teams. I just want to affect their performance on the field. Here's here's my take. If you're not a great player and you're a bad quote unquote bad guy, then I think it matters because no one wants to take on that risk for a guy who won't pay enormous rewards. But I think if you're a star player, doesn't really matter if you're a bad guy as much as we want it to. They will take you on. They'll take you on, but I yeah. I, I don't think I don't, that they'll want to offer you as long a contract for as much money. It diminishes. Look, I'm not saying that it makes people not want him. They still want him. I just think that it diminishes his value. I think his value is a little less. So I mean, I think not he a lot, signs a for, little. So does he only sign for two hundred and fifty million instead of three hundred? Because I think he signs for three hundred. If he gets that long term contract, I think it's massive. Oh, sorry. I, like, I think I've been, I've just been saying that I think it diminishes his value. I, I still think that he has a shot to make more than Harper, actually. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Even more than, ah, wow. So that's an interesting thing. All right. So, so you must have thought in the beginning that Machado would just make like a massive, massive contract. I mean, I could never have seen Machado making like 400 million, 450. No, I don't think so. But Look, he's coming off the best offensive season of his career, despite some postseason struggles. Harper's coming off a pretty rough offensive season, despite uh, starting to bounce back in the second half. And that matters to teams, how they do in their free agent season. Harper seems like a little bit more of a risk at this point, to be honest. I do think Machado's value diminishes, but only a very slight amount because of uh, you know some of the things that we just talked about. It, I'm not saying that I think it's certain that he gets a bigger contract, but I could see Harper's value falling to somewhere at or below 300 and Machado breaking that threshold. So now, where do we think Machado's going? There's been, I didn't mention this with Harper, but the White Sox have actually been mentioned at least in these conversations with these top guys. And the White Sox are a team where clearly not good, but they've been bad for a while. So there's a lot of young talent on the way looking for that big guy to come and kind of lead this new group of players. I don't necessarily see Machado or Harper signing with the White Sox just because, I don't know. I mean, maybe, again, I'm naive, but I think that they would both rather be in, I don't know, fun like situations with teams that can contend now. That would be my take. I honestly, I really do think that Machado ends up in, in New York. Just call it a hunch. I think New York's a really good spot for him. It, it makes more sense than Harper for what they need. And he could really slide well with that infield. We've talked about this before. And yes, Gregorius will be coming back eventually. But there, there is a hole there for now. And I mean, a bat like Machado, you can move. You can, you can find a way to make it work. So once Gregorius comes back, say you have Gregorius at short, Machado at third, and Duhar at first. I don't think anyone believes in Greg Bird. And there's been some reports. And again, it's hard to take these reports early on in free agency at face value. But... There is some talk that the Yankees are concerned Luke Voigt might have been a late-season fluke, which is fair. But that's my take. I think, again, not going to say it's a certainty. I think the Phillies are another good option. Maybe my Cubs somehow come up with the money and they land Machado. I, I personally like it. But I really think that the most likely team as of now is... I'll go Phillies for Harper, Yankees for Machado. 
as just my like gut predictions for right now. Yeah, that's interesting. Given how much Philadelphia has expressed their interest in both these players, and given the rumors that they could even uh, try to get both of them, it seems unlikely that they wouldn't land at least one. At the same time, I think if I had to pick for Harper, I'm going to go with the Dodgers, just because L.A., star yeah. power, they're, they have the money, they, they're ready to shell out money always. They haven't won a championship in a little while, and they really want to. And in terms of Machado, I think that's really tough. I think the the rumors are very confusing. It's hard to know what to believe. It's it's true that the Yankees do look like a good option, uh, despite some reports saying that maybe they weren't as interested as we thought. The guy we're getting to next, though, I think is going to the Yankees. So, you know, if they're shelling out money for him, maybe yep. they don't want to try to go for Machado, too. But I guess if it's between... If I, if I had to choose from Machado, yeah, sure, Yankees. Yep, so you mentioned that, that next guy, and it's Corbin. I mean, I think we're both pretty convinced that he'll be with the Yankees. It seems pretty clear to me that there's a lot of interest there. He's been a Yankee guy from childhood. It just makes too much sense for it not to happen. Yankees could use an arm like him. I do think that they will end up overpaying for him just because I don't know if I trust him with just the injury history, and he's had maybe like what... He's only had like a couple like real good years and it took him a while to kind of get back, but he's really talented. The Yankees can afford to overpay him. He wants to be a, a, I get the feeling that he wants to be a Yankee. I just think it makes too much sense not for it to happen. He wants to be a Yankee. The Yankees want him to be a Yankee. He's a top free agent starting pitcher and the Yankees of all their needs need starting pitching. Uh, It's a match made in heaven. Yeah, so I don't think we need to say too much. I think we're both on board Corbin to the Yankees. Yeah. I think that that's that seems like the mo- that seems like the one that we can see coming the most right now. Now another guy that's that's interesting is Craig Kimbrell, and he's been a dominating closer in this league for a while, an All Star type guy a lot. It says you know All Star what seven times, but there are some blips on that radar. His strikeout rate was a little bit lower last year, and then who knows what happened in the postseason? It's really quite weird where, again, there was talk that maybe he was tipping pitches, but to me it looked like there were a lot of times where he just didn't know where the ball was going. He dodged a couple of lucky bullets where he really could have gotten the Red Sox in trouble if a couple guys square up the bat a little bit better, plays aren't made in the field. Really, he's he's a guy where he should be looking at last postseason with a relief because it could have gone a lot worse for him. I wouldn't sign him to a contract. I think he's going to make too much money. The prediction here on MLBTradeRumors.com is four years, $70 million. I wouldn't give him that much money. I personally think I could see him returning to the Red Sox. I think it just makes sense. Once again, Red Sox, they need bullpen guys. I think that they have a trust in Kimbrell that even if there's some lingering issues that they'll be able to fix it, they've, they've seen what he can do over the past few years. I don't really see any other team jumping like the Red Sox would to get him. What do you think? Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think also when teams are coming off of a championship, they tend to try to, you know, reassemble the same group of guys. Um, sometimes I think that's actually an over-response. Uh, you know, had had the Red Sox not won the World Series, maybe they'd make a ton of moves, and the difference in that's only a few games. That being said, I, I do think that teams tend to, tend to try to reassemble coming off of a championship. So, you know, I think that's a good bet. I, I don't like Kimbrel. 
Well, if not the Red Sox, then, I mean, there's teams that are listed here, like the Cardinals, Angels, Cubs, Braves, Phillies, Mets. It seems just like a whole lot. None of, I mean, it's hard for me to find a spot outside of the Red Sox firm where I look at a situation and immediately jump and go, okay, yeah, that seems like the place for him. Yeah, but he fine at any of them. I mean, yes, but I don't see like a spot like the Red Sox that kind of jumps off the page. I could see the Angels making an overpay, really trying to win with Otani and Trout and trying to really make that work finally. So I could see the Angels signing like a couple free agents this year because they are starting to put some pieces together. They're just, uh, injuries really set them back last year. So I would look out for the Angels as a maybe potential spot for Kimbrell. Not that it's likely. I really do think he goes to the Red Sox then. Another Red Sox guy who's hitting the free agent market, Nathan Avaldi. he really set his value high in the postseason when most of the time he completely dominated. His stuff was tantalizing. It looked, he it, he finally fulfilled the potential that everyone's looked at him for a while. And he's going to get a sizable contract, I think too big. And again, Red Sox fans really want to, to re-sign him. He's kind of turned into a hero. But for me, I almost think the Red Sox are too smart. I think one team's going to give him way too much money that we look at and think, wow, Nathan Avaldi made that much money, and who knows exactly what that number will be, but I don't think that the Red Sox would, would match that. I think he'll be, again, one of those teams like the Angels or maybe even the Phillies if they don't get like one of those top two guys and they're just trying to scramble for arms and to make a playoff run. But I think a team that's either on the cusp of the playoffs or behind that cusp a pretty middling 82-ish win team is going to overpay for him. I really strongly agree with everything you just said. I I think that, look, Evaldi was on the Yanks, and I watched him pitch a lot. And he had performances on the Yanks where he pitched two or three games in a row where he looked dominant. The problem with him is a few things. One, consistency. Two, injuries. Three, long-term durability. He's had two Tommy John surgeries. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, and four, the... Look, he throws hard. He can hit 100 miles an hour. It doesn't play like 100. I think his his 100 plays more like a 97. His fastball is so flat. The eye test tells you that. The metrics tell you that. Uh, he's a solid pitcher. He's he's going to have some really good games. Uh, at the end of the day, I think uh, he's, he's a pretty uh, middle-of-the-rotation kind of guy. Yeah, I think... I think that he's the guy where we look back at this free agent class and think, wow, that's an overpay. It's a little bit of a different situation, but we're already looking back at last offseason and thinking, wow, Eric Hosmer made a lot of money for a guy who's really not that incredible. He's good. He was the soul of the Royals team that made it to the World Series, but now he's on the San Diego Padres for, what, $126 million for seven years or something in that ballpark? That's a lot of money for a guy who's up and down. And I do think that a good postseason can really skew things, and it is very likely that there will be overpays based on that. So now, um, another guy, he's been in the news lately, J.A. Happ. Articles came out today when we're posting this, or when we're recording this, excuse me, that both the Blue Jays and the Yankees wanted him back. I think that says a lot for him. He's a guy where he's just a really professional pitcher. He's had some tremendous late late season success or late career success. And he's just a guy where you know that he's consistent. He'll be consistently good. He's sort of the opposite of, of Evaldi in that he won't necessarily be spectacular. He won't 
swing a World Series for you, but he can win you regular season games, compete at a well above average level. So if the Yankees... I think he's better than Evaldi. Yes. I, my point is, I think J.A. Happ's more valuable. I would rather have J.A. Happ on my, my team, but I think Evaldi can reach a certain level that Happ can't He can be more dominant in individual start. Yes, that is my point. Evaldi can be more dominant at a particular time, but Happ will give you more value over the life of a season just because he's so much more consistent, and he's consistently good. So I could see Happ coming back to the Yankees. You're the Yankees fan, so I'll consider you the expert in this. But I wouldn't be surprised if, again, we see him on an Angels or a Phillies, another team that he pitched for in Philly. But Yankees, Phillies, Angels, one of those teams. I, I don't think he's going to go to the Yankees. Look, there's there's Severino and Tanaka are locks at the top of the rotation. The Yankees just re-signed Sabathia. And, and uh, in theory... Jordan Montgomery is going to be healthy for next season. And then I really think we are getting Patrick Corbin. So that's that's a five-person rotation right there. And I don't really see which one of those guys you'd replace half with. You didn't give CC a contract to not uh, start him once every five days. And then the Yankees also have a, a whole handful of pitchers in their system uh, who could try to get into the rotation at any point or be very ready to fill in for guys who are injured. I think that given re-signing CeCe and assuming we're getting Corbin, it's it's one more arm uh, than there's room for in the rotation. I don't know. My thing with starting rotations is I go on the assumption that someone will get injured over the course of a year. If you can get J.A. Happ, I think that there's always room for him. Looking at the Cubs last offseason, everyone was like, oh my god, they have so many pitchers, they might have to have a six-man rotation, and then we know how that happened. What happened with that? Darvish was injured all year, Chatwood forgot how to throw a strike, and just weird things happen with with arms. But I agree with you, I just don't think that GMs and teams like to shell out uh, a hefty paycheck for a guy who they're not sure where they fit in. Okay, well, we'll see what happens with that. Another interesting lefty is Dallas Keuchel. He's a guy where he was a lot better again a couple years ago. If he had hit the free agent market a couple years ago, he would be making a lot more money and he would be a top flight option right now. He's good, but not great. That's kind of his level. He's not going to be the number one pitcher for like a for a contending team. He's a little more middling than that. And not to make him sound like just like a 4.2 ERA, three or four guy. He's good, no doubt about that, but he's not... Incredible. So, I don't know. I would love for the Astros to re-sign him just because I really like that group. They were my team all year last year. But I don't necessarily know how likely that is just with their situation. So, what do you think about Keiko? Would you look at him? I might back off. He gives me sort of similar feelings to Jake Arietta, where in that I wouldn't want him to have signed Arietta a big contract. Because you could see the slippage coming. And Keiko's a guy, he's 31. That's a little old. I wouldn't. I don't have that trust in him where I would want to give him a four-year or a five-year contract. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Again, I think it's the usual suspects. Uh, we know the teams that are trying to contend, and we know the teams that uh, need pitching help. Um, so he could go to any of those guys, and including the Astros. I could definitely see him staying. All right, so now this is... Last guy we'll talk about is someone who I think we both find interesting. MVP type of guy just a couple years ago, Josh Donaldson. 
he he showed something with the Indians last year when he came back, but there's just been a lot of injuries in, over the last couple of years, and MLB Trade Rumors has him taking a one-year $20 million contract. I think that that's probably the most likely scenario. I don't know if teams would want to give him a long-term deal with the kind of money that that he would want. So maybe a deal like this with a make-it-or-prove-it kind of thing, because he is 33. I don't know. It's tough because I don't... I just don't know how much value you'll get with him. I think he'll be good when he's on the field, but how likely is it that he plays 120 games? Yeah, I see what you're saying. It's it's a question that all the teams are, you know, going to need to grapple with because obviously if he's not healthy, um, then he's not worth $20 million. And if he is healthy, he's worth a whole hell of a lot more. And so that's kind of, you know, teams saying those are the two possibilities and they're weighting them. Um, and, you know, this is the number that this particular site came up with. And so it'll be interesting to see. I uh, would, would like to see the Yankees go after him, actually, uh, despite having uh, Rookie of the Year finalist Andujar at third base. I think that he could be converted into a second baseman. I, yeah, you had talked about that. I think I had mentioned left field or first base. I think that that's just more likely. I would rather see him at a position where he doesn't necessarily have to worry as much about what's happening in the field because... I think what we saw from last year is he can get in his own head a little bit. I think if you look at him in a clutch situation, I think that that's when things kind of struck most. So I would rather see him shed a spot where he can focus on his hitting, not not have to make like complex plays. And I think second's a little much to ask. All right, so that will do it for us. I think if there's one thing that we learned today, it's watch out for the Phillies and a bunch of usual suspects. I'm sure the Yankees will be involved. They're going to make a move. Red Sox will probably be looking to re-sign some guys, keep their group together. L.A. trying to win. I hope my Cubs do something because things aren't looking so great all of a sudden. They really tailed off at the end of I last year. I texted you this uh, a couple of days ago, George, that when they won that, that championship two years yeah, back, you we were you're... all like, they're yep. a dynasty. They're going to win like five of the next ten years. Doesn't look so anymore. Well, I mean, life can come at you fast. That's the classic expression. I mean, even the Astros, we look. I looked at them as a team that could repeat and form their own kind of dynasty, but all of a sudden they're ousted in a five-game playoff series, exactly what happened to the Cubs last year, losing five games in the NLCS. Yeah, but the Astros looked a lot more promising coming into that. The Cubs were showing signs of weakness, did not look like uh, themselves of the previous year. It all comes down to you, Darvish. If they get prime you, Darvish, then a lot of these problems are fixed, but... Again, it's not a great situation to be relying on you, Darvish, to have a full, healthy season. So we'll see what happens with that. Should be a fun off-season. Hot stove is always hot, so that's always lots of fun. Alex, thank you for coming in. Thank you. Always good to have you, and we'll be back next week. Thank you.